This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you clearly. All right. I'll just introduce you then, and uh, we'll, we'll start right into it. Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master. Today, we're going to begin talking about the doctrines of grace, or what are sometimes called the five points of Calvinism. And, and sometimes these are signified by an acronym, TULIP, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. But today we're going to limit ourselves to talking about the T in TULIP, total depravity. And we couldn't think of a better person to invite than friend of the Alliance and president and professor of systematic theology at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, pastor of the Heritage Netherlands Reformed Congregation, also in Grand Rapids, author, regular speaker, speaker at the upcoming Quakertown Conference on Reformed Theology, Dr. Joel Beakey. So, Joel, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with you, Jonathan. So, Dr. Beakey, total depravity sounds on first hearing like a very discouraging doctrine. And sometimes I know when I've taught it, that's the way people have responded just to the name itself. So can you just begin by defining or describing what theologians mean by total depravity? Yes, well, depravity means that we are sinful. We're sinful through our deep fallen Adam. We're sinful people by nature. Total means not that every single part of us is always as wicked as we could be, because then we'd always be killing each other and robbing banks and things like that. But total means that when God in his supreme holiness looks down at us and examines every part of us, be it our will, our affections, our mind, our soul, there's no part of us that he sees sin-free. So the idea is that every single part of us is depraved and we need to be born again. So the idea of total depravity is inseparable from sin. And it's also inseparable from the idea that sin is primarily an inward thing. It, it, it works in the inner recesses of the soul, comes out in one's life, of course. But there's an inwardness about this total depravity that we need to be renovated uh, from, from within. And so every part of us, every part of us needs to be renovated. In fact, Paul, Paul goes so far, Jonathan, that he, he basically says that by nature, we are slaves of sin. It's like we're slaveaholics to sin, or, or sinahogs, I should say. We're sinahogs. And that's, uh, that is discouraging. But that makes the gospel all the more encouraging and all the more necessary for every human being walking on the face of the earth. So uh, you mentioned the the necessity for the new birth and the the fact that sin is on the inside of us. Um, it's an inward thing. It begins on the inside in the heart. What are some of the major passages in the Bible in which we see this doctrine revealed? You, you, you touched on, on a few there in your answer, alluded to a few, but what are some major passages uh, that we would go to, to to see this doctrine expressed? Well, Romans 1 through 3 is, is the key passage, the biggest chunk, I would say, 
or Paul uh, shows us that every Jew and every Gentile has come short of the glory of God so that all men are sinners. And then in Romans 3, he has this long list of things, just dreadful things that are a picture of the natural man apart from redeeming grace in Christ. And he concludes, I believe it's in verse 19, by saying, I'm telling you all these things for this purpose that the whole world might have their mouths stopped and become guilty before God. So the goal of total depravity is not to, to spin us downward into hopelessness, but it is to spin us downward into our own unrighteousness to the point that we have to confess in my flesh dwells no good thing. I need to be born again. I need that, inter I need that irresistible grace. So you do a, a lot of preaching, and I know that in your preaching you want to address both uh, converted people, Christians, and also perhaps those who are there who are, are, are not believers. I'm wondering how this doctrine of total depravity has affected your understanding and practice of evangelism and evangelistic preaching. Yes, well, immensely so, because the bad news needs to preface the good news. Otherwise, the good news will never be very good news. So they that are whole need no physician, but they that are sick, Jesus said. So if you don't realize your sickness, if uh, someone says, looks at me, comes in my office today and says, you know, I think you've got cancer. I'll say, you know, I, I don't feel I have cancer. I'm feeling great. Uh, I'm not going to go to the doctor to find out if I have cancer. So I think we need to understand that in preaching, we need to bring the law to bear on people, the law which demands that we love God above all, love our neighbors ourselves, and then point out to people that apart from God's grace saving us, we actually never love God above all, and we never love our neighbors ourselves because we're always number one. So every single second of our lives we're actually sinning against God and against his law, which means we desperately need salvation. And the beauty of this combination of law slash gospel is that once we get saved, God sends us back to the law, now not to try to merit salvation, but now to live according to God's commandments out of love to him and love to our neighbor, uh, out of thankfulness for the great salvation he's given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Christ does, uh, this is the way I try to say it to people in a nutshell. Christ does the two things for us that we need to have done for us if we're going to be saved by God's grace. And the first one is he pays for all our sin, uh, concretely, tangibly, in his sufferings and death in Gethsemane, Gabbatha, and Golgotha dying the death of the cross that we deserve to die. And secondly, though as our substitute, he wipes away all our sin, we still need to earn the right to eternal life. And since we can't do that, he has to do that for us as well, which is perfect obedience, as, what, as God said to Abraham already, or to Adam already pre-fall. And so Jesus Christ for 33 years, not only suffered and died, but he also lived absolutely perfectly 
loving God above all, loving his neighbors himself, every tick of the clock for 33 years. And so when a sinner believes in Christ alone for salvation, what happens is that by God's regenerating grace, that sinner has imputed to him what, what John Calvin called the double obedience of Jesus. The passive obedience paying for our sin, the active obedience obeying the law for us, and our sin is then imputed to Jesus who, who, bore, it, who bore it on the cross. In, in terms of living the Christian life, in terms of our um, growth in grace and our sanctification, how does how does the doctrine of total depravity uh, affect that? So moving from evangelism and how we need to uh, proclaim the law and 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 uh, and show people their their need for the Savior, uh, what about as we live our Christian life? What what bearing does total depravity have on that? Yes, well, once we're saved, of course, a good seed is put within us. The the core of our being. Is, is is renovated, renewed, uh, resurrected from the dead. And if you can picture um, a circle with all the arrows inside the circle trying to expand that circle, make it bigger, and then picture arrows coming at that circle from all sides around the circle, trying to regain lost territory, that's a, that's a picture of what's going on in the regenerated heart in the saved person in the area of sanctification. In other words, I am a new man. The core of me has been born again. The core of me loves God above all, loves my neighbors, myself, but I still have the remnants of my old nature wanting to get back inside of me in the core of my being, trying to, so there's, there's like a front line of battle around that circle, or you might say a tug of war. And that's what Paul is experiencing in the area of sanctification in Romans 7, 14 to 25, when he says, the good that I really would do because I, my, my, my heart is renewed according, according to the spirit of the law in the inward man. So the good that I would really do, I find myself not doing and the evil that I would not do and I often find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm still in this battle. I'm still in this battle against indwelling sin. And God leaves that battle there in the believer so, well, for a variety of reasons, but one reason certainly is that we might hanker for that day when Christ comes again on the clouds and we will be transformed into a state of perfection and all sin will be done away and we won't have that battle anymore. And what a glorious thing that will be for a believer to be sin-free, not even tempted to sin, not even tempted to be tempted to sin, but to be absolutely as holy as Jesus is holy. So even as you counsel Christians and even as you uh, are, are, are growing in grace yourself, it's important to be aware of uh, the inward nature of sin and, and the way in which this battle still rages on in many respects. Yes, actually, holiness is a tricky thing because the more holy you are, the more unholy you will feel yourself to be. Uh, the reason why... I, I, I like to use this illustration. Uh, it's maybe a bit old-fashioned, but there's a, say a woman comes into the room on a given morning, living room on a given morning, wipes down all the furniture. She thinks she's gotten all the dust in the room. Then the sun comes up, and the sun 
shows dust that she missed. It looks like there's more dust than ever before. There's not more. There's less dust than before, but it looks like there's more because the sun exposes it. So she goes in and wipes the furniture again. Now, in a believer's life, you see, the closer we are to the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ, the more he shines into the inner crevices and cracks of our hearts and reveals to us our, our sinful nature. That's why Christians who live at a very shallow level have very little difficulty with sin. They don't make a big deal of sin, and so they don't make a big deal of Christ. But when the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, the depths, in, in, in spiritual depth, then what happens is we we know that inner struggle intensely, but we also know the joy of God's salvation intensely, and we love Christ intensely. This may be a new doctrine to some of our listeners, or maybe they've heard of it, but they, they didn't really know what to make of it. They, they weren't sure exactly what it meant. Um, where would you suggest that people go to learn a little bit more or perhaps to meditate further and in deeper ways on the significance of this of this biblical teaching hmm. you mean in terms of lit reform yeah yeah are there any are there any books or articles or or things that you found helpful yeah yeah well uh you know when i grew up there was a book by thomas goodwin that i read when i was 16 years old that profoundly shook me, man's guiltiness before God, which was uh, really exposed me for who I was. Uh, if you just want a book on the sinfulness of sin, I would say read The Mischief of Sin by Thomas Watson or The Plague of Plagues by Ralph Venning. Um, those would be some, some good books. I've, I've done a book called Living for the Glory of God in a contemporary way uh, in which I look at uh, the, the whole area of the Reformed faith and how total depravity fits in the whole picture. And that might be good for people because that's written in a lay, lay person's level. And um, see, one of the things that we often forget, Jonathan, is that in the, in, at the Synod of Dort in 1618, 1619, where they uh, defended the Reformed faith in five major points against the Arminians, um, they have a head strangely called head three, four. So they've got head one, head two, head three, four, head five. And you say, why did they have three, four together? Well, the reason is that the Arminians said, you reform people, you believe in total depravity. And that's very, very depressing. Look what a terrible doctrine this is. And you also believe in irresistible grace as if a sinner you know, can't receive salvation in his own strength. That's a terrible thing, too, because then God's forcing people to be saved. But the Reformed divines at, at Dortrecht were very wise, and they brought these two doctrines together, and they said, you may never separate them, because these two things belong together. Because when we teach total depravity, we never do so without teaching God's amazing, irresistible grace that God makes us willing to receive his son, shows us our need for him by showing us our depravity, and then makes us willing to receive his son as a poor, needy sinner trusting in Christ alone for salvation. And you see, once you see that combination, that these two doctrines belong together, that's why I don't like the T and the I in TULIP being separated by two other letters in between. I think they always must be brought out together. And once you bring them out together, it's actually a beautiful doctrine. 
because our total depravity is our realistic plight. That's who we are by nature. Irresistible grace is what God is more than willing to do for us as we come to grips with our with our nature and see who we really are and what we really need. Well, that's a perfect note on which to end because um, I'd like to tell our listeners right now that Dr. Beakey has agreed to talk with us about Irresistible Grace, so stay tuned on that. But Dr. Beakey, thanks so much for your time talking now about total depravity. You're most welcome. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is supported by donors like you. You can contribute via placefortruth.org or on alliancenet.org. If you come to placefortruth.org, we'd like to enter you for a free gift. It's a set called Children of God Adopted into the Father's Love from the 2011 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. And in it, there's a message by Dr. Beakey, like father, like son. But the whole set is worthwhile. We'd love to enter you for that gift. And we want to thank you again for tuning into Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Mm-hmm.